welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I speak to incredible author Julie Cohen for this episode. It's very nice to have another writer on the podcast, especially because my new book is coming out soon. So I'm in my writery place at the moment. Um, We chatted about her divorce her sexuality coming out in her writing and also her bathroom because she shared photos of it on Twitter and it was like loads of spots and a mosaic shelf and I actually loved it. I thought it was a bit wacky but I loved it but um, part of her kind of owning her own space was completely trashing the bathroom, ripping it out and then getting a new bathroom put in. So we talk a little bit about that as well. And sadly, she didn't save the mosaic shelf for me because I did actually want to put that in my bathroom. But anyway, I've still had her on the podcast. Enjoy. I am joined by author Julie Cohen. Hello, welcome to The Divorce Social. Morning, Sam. It's great to be here. How does that feel, me welcoming you to The Divorce Social? Well, you know what? We originally were going to record this last month, um, and then you got COVID. And last month was both my wedding anniversary and my divorce anniversary. It's not as timely this month, but still, it's month plus one of my both my divorce and my uh, wedding. Yeah, great, great. I am a very happily divorced person, so I am very happy to be talking to you about divorce this morning. That's what we like to hear. You know, how many years on are you now from the divorce and how does it feel for that anniversary month? Oh, gosh. So I got married in October 1997. And I got divorced in October 2020 after splitting up with my ex in January 2020, right before the lockdowns happened. Um, So I got divorced and I went through the entire divorce process whilst we were living in the same house together, stuck in because of lockdown. So that and I actually got the decree absolute um, when he was still living here. Um, So that was an interesting experience um, and one that took a lot of fortitude and a lot of biting of tongues and a lot of kindness. And I am relieved every day that that is over. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So, wow, that's a lot. Lockdown, divorce. What was it like then when you got the decree absolute? Did you celebrate together? Did you share a 
cup of tea and cheers it? Or was it a very separate experience? It was a very separate experience, I think. He was less keen on getting divorced than I was. Um, I was the one who initiated it. I was the one who did all the work for it, which we shall say that follows a pattern. And um, I normally, in the normal version of the world, I probably would have had a party and everything and celebrated and been happy. Um, Because I think we not only got divorced, but we got divorced well. And I was really happy about that. But I thought it would be insensitive to do that while he was still in the house. So I'd never had a divorce party. I wanted to. My friend sent me um, some presents, some divorce presents uh, that I had to sort of explain, uh, fail to explain to my ex what they were for. (laughs) But I was trying to spare his feelings and he was trying to spare mine. And I liked that setup. So I didn't really celebrate. Well, can I just say there's always still time for a divorce party, <laughs> however many years on you are. Um, what what presents did your friend send you? I'm intrigued by this. Was there like divorce written on everything? Was it penis paraphernalia? It, was, it wasn't penis paraphernalia. No, it was octopus paraphernalia. Actually, oh. I've, got, I've got one behind me. It's an um, octopus bookend. They sent me a couple of octopus bookends and an octopus candelabra, which I could use on romantic dates. I love that. Was there an octopus theme to your marriage and divorce? Not at all. I just like no. I just like octopi. <laughs> I was imagining for a second there that that maybe your ex was the man in the octopus documentary where he like falls in love with an octopus because I I saw that as cheating when I watched that documentary because he was really into that octopus. Oh, I haven't seen that documentary, but I don't think that would have bothered me. <laughs> I, I'm fine with octopus polyamory on a on a strictly platonic level. Okay, well that's good to know. O- open relationships with octopuses, fine. Humans, <laughs> let's discuss it. Because um, I love that you. That, that, so basically, your friend just sent you some nice things to celebrate your divorce. It wasn't like because obviously there's that whole thing with Hindus of like we have bride to be on everything and and penis straws and. I have seen divorces go down that route or just a big cake with like the ex's face on that they can smash up or all sorts of things. <laughs> no, just octopi. Penises would have been, wouldn't really have been appropriate because after I got divorced, I almost exclusively dated women. So um, no, I, I was giving up the dick for a while. But you got divorced from a man. I did get divorced yeah. from, by, from a man. So you could have um, trashed a dick. I could have, but I don't. I, I'm bisexual, so I do still like penises. They they are good, um, just not at the moment ones that are attached to any particular male human being. Fair. Um, I'm bisexual too, actually, and I came out after my divorce because I'd been in this relationship with a man for so long, and people had assumed that I was straight because of that, mm-hmm. and it felt like this really nice freeing moment and of being like, oh, I can date women now or you know do whatever I want or just meet a nice human um was that a process for you or had you always been really open about it you know I only came out I think in 2015 like publicly everywhere um on all my social media accounts to all my family to everybody although my close friends and my ex actually knew already but I only came up publicly then I was still married and I was still intending to stay married at that point. But um, the books that I was writing were getting more bisexual by the day. Um, I And I, I didn't want to not say anything about that. And what you talk about, you know, this sort of bisexual erasure when you're in a straight relationship, but actually you're queer is that was a that was a thing people were assuming things about me and about my you know politics and about my life experiences that i didn't think were right and also i thought it was important to stand up and say that i was bisexual so that other people maybe who were in my same situation could also be honest about how they felt um whilst they're in the in the relationship you know um because I love that you came out after you got divorced and it was a big part of your freedom, but I think that we should be free within relationships too, to be our authentic selves. So it was important for me to come out while I was still married. And that actually didn't have anything to do with my divorce. 
we got divorced for other reasons. But a lot of people think that it was. A lot of people think, oh, you came out because you didn't want to be with a man anymore. And that's not actually true at all. Um, I came out because I, I, I got divorced because I didn't want to be with my ex-husband anymore. But since then, I've just been dating women. I've sort of been making up for lost time. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I could totally relate to a lot of what you said there because I feel like, you know, a lot of my friends knew I was bisexual and actually my ex did know. Um, but yeah, there was this kind of, oh, everyone assumes I'm straight and I'm married to a man. And I almost felt like I'm not allowed to say I'm bisexual because I'm in a relationship with a person of the opposite sex. And and I felt a, a real need to say it publicly as well, because I think bi visibility is so low and it isn't something maybe that's shared as much as some other aspects of the queer community. So for me, it just felt, and also I think I was really excited because I could finally like not only say it out loud, but date people because I was single. Um, so I remember putting it on social media and thinking no one's going to care, but I just want to do this for me. And then it actually got a huge response and it got like thousands of likes and retweets and stuff. And I was very surprised that, you know, because for me, this was only a few years ago. I was very surprised that it was, I don't know, still seen as quite a thing for someone a little bit in the public eye to come out, you know, as bisexual. Did you did you feel a sense of relief or excitement when you shared it publicly? Did, what feedback did you get, if any? I mostly, most people were, as you said, very positive and um, really engaged. And I have to say that I received a lot of private messages and had private conversations with people in real life as well um, about their own coming out and their own feelings about their own sexuality, particularly women of about my age. Um, I had a lot of conversations with them. And I one of the reasons why I came out publicly was I was inspired by my friend who is bisexual, who lives in Singapore, where um, it's illegal. And yet my friend is out. And that level of bravery, you know, I, I was like, if they're doing that, then why am I being a coward not saying anything? I mean, it's just ridiculous. And saying something. So they helped me um, speak my own truth. And then when I came out, I then got messages from people who are saying, yes, so I told my husband last night that I'm bisexual. He didn't know before, you know, or, or things like that, you know, and that was really inspiring. And I think every time I get a message like that, I know that that person has then inspired someone else to be truthful. So visibility, I think, is important, not just for our own sense of self-belief, but also to help others with theirs. And and since you've come out, I think this is really interesting because I I came out as bi when I was getting divorced. Then I went on dates with lots of women, had a relationship with a woman, and now I'm in a relationship with a man. And do you ever, because every so often I have this thing of like, oh no, I said I was bisexual and now I'm with a man again. Quickly, I need to snog a woman or a non-binary person. <laughs> Do you do you ever still have this like, uh oh, am I am I doing the right by thing, or are you much more confident than me? <laughs> so, I I think, well, being bisexual is one of the very few sexualities where you have to provide receipts for people because yeah. otherwise they don't believe you, right? So either you're a lesbian or you're straight, you can't be bisexual or pansexual or whatever. You're just not allowed to do that because if you're with a woman, you're a lesbian. And if you're with a man, you're straight. Um, and and I'm so fed up by that, to be honest. <laughs> so fed up by it. Um, that I'm not going to play with those rules anymore. I'm just, I'm just sick of it. And but you do hear it. And so I don't know when this was. This was I I, I actually went. I didn't go on a date with a man. I I picked up a man in a bar, and I told my best friend about it. My best friend uh, is named Rowan Coleman, and she is the best person ever. She's a, also an author, and she was just like Julie, you're totally disappointed me. What are you doing? I thought you were all liberated. You were going to, you're going to go out and be there with women, shag lots of women. I was like, well, you know, I'm still bisexual. You know, I still like the D, you know, it's great. Um, so, and she was like, yeah, fair. 
fair, true, because <laughs> she's my best friend and she knows how it goes. Um, yeah, but I don't need to re- do receipts anymore. That said, that said, this very morning, so when I came out, I'm, I'm dishing some tea here. Um, when Not I came that. out, there was a publishing professional who shall remain nameless, who said um, that who tweeted about middle-aged authors coming out as queer for the career boost. Um, When they tweeted that, I knew it was aimed at me. And I tweeted about that. And because I sort of referenced that, a uh, beautiful lesbian slid into my DMs and started flirting with me. And that was a year and a bit ago, nearly two years ago. And I just got back from a weekend in Paris with that same beautiful lesbian. So I got to say, bigot's going to bigot, but I'm really glad that uh, it worked out well for me. Yeah. Thank God that person said a terrible thing because, (laughs) yeah, it seems to have worked out very well. Uh, Lovely. (laughs) So romantic as well. Hello. yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting, isn't it? I mean, that's so funny, career boost. did you? Do you think you got a career boost from coming out as bisexual? Have you no. sold any more books? No, I have definitely not sold any more books. I mean, no. Come, being queer and being a queer author is, is marginalizing yourself. You know, it, the, the market is not bigger for gay yeah. books than they are for straight books. That is just not true. So I don't really understand where that even came from other than it was just, I don't know. I don't know. They were probably jealous. I was, I'm out here living my best life, you know, dating whoever I want to date, being me and enjoying it and uh, meeting lots and lots of LGBTQIA people who are just fabulous. So it is funny that comment, isn't it? Oh, you're jumping on the queer bandwagon. Yeah. And I'm like, there's a bandwagon. I want to jump on now. Is there, yeah. who do I get to meet on it? And it's like, this great actually, bandwagon where people get discriminated against and shot in nightclubs. I mean, I really want to be on that yeah. bandwagon. It's, it's wild. Um, yeah. I, I mean, as I'm deaf and I write books with deaf protagonists and my two children's books have that and they have single parent families in them. And I have a non-binary child in my first book. And I remember people saying, Oh, you know, you're, it's tokenism, all this stuff. And I was like, no, what? It's tokenism to sell books. And I was like, actually, <laughs> I think I've sold fewer books of my first book, Harriet versus the Galaxy, because it has a non binary child in. And like some libraries won't even stock it for that reason. So it's just, it's very strange the relationships people put together of like, oh, you've just said this to sell books. And then actually when you delve into it, you're like, mm, probably sold fewer books actually for doing mm-hmm. that, but it felt important and it feels important. Yeah. Um. So, so this is very exciting that you've had a weekend in Paris with a lady, but I just want to go back to, because um, I want to come to dating and all of that stuff, but I just want to go back to something you said about your the bisexuality coming out in your books. Mm-hmm. And I'm very interested about that. Do you think alongside the bisexuality, did divorce or relationship breakups and recovery start coming out in your books as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing is about being an author is that your stories know things before you do. Um, and because you're getting them from sort of some sort of deep part of your self-conscious, subconscious. And I think they tell you things. Now, a reader might not see it. And I don't think necessarily that even my ex would see it. But when I read the book that I was writing when I was in the midst of getting divorced um, or deciding whether I wanted to get divorced, I, I can see the emotions that were happening within that book. Um, It's pretty clear to me. My therapist read it. It was also very clear to her. My ex read it. And I don't necessarily believe that it was very clear to him. Um, But that's okay. You know, and I don't know that everybody else would see it. When I was actually getting divorced. So in that period between January 2020, the whole time when we were locked in a house together um, with our child, and until about September, October, I was writing a book as well. Um, and 
when I finished that, I would get up every day and write. I would go up to my little office and write. And it was one way that I could escape what was going on in the world and what was going on in my crumbling marriage. And I, um, when I gave in that book to my agent and my editor, they were really kind and they took a little while and they rang me and said, Julie, this book really just isn't working. They said, it's the thing that we love about your books is that they are so emotional. They have a lot of heart in them and a lot of really deep diving into relationships. And they said, this book doesn't have it. It's all plot, plot, plot. There's no deep diving into relationships. You, you haven't got the emotion in there. And I, we don't think we can publish it. And usually that would be the worst thing ever because I basically, you know, I, I rely on my writing to pay my bills. And so I wasn't going to get paid for uh, delivering a book that was unpublishable that I'd spent nine months writing. But actually, my main feeling was relief because I said, oh, wow. So that book, A, I don't have to write that book anymore. I can write something else. And B, that book was me avoiding my emotions. That was me. I was trying to get away from all of the emotions. The real life emotions were way too much. Everything was frightening and depressing and sad and sometimes wonderful, but very difficult. And my writing my book was how I got away from it. And so I couldn't explore any emotions within it either. And that book will never get published. It's, its function was to get me up and writing every day. It wasn't for anybody else to read. Um, but I think that said a lot about my state of mind at that time in sort of a scary way, because I didn't know how much of my emotions I was suppressing and not allowing myself to look at, not allowing myself to express. And then as soon as I delivered that book and they didn't want it, I instantly came up with a different book idea, which is about two marriages dissolving <laughs> and about a very passionate affair between two women who are married to other men. And that book is full of sex. It's full of emotion. It's full of touching. It's full of arguments. All of the stuff that I was trying to suppress for the whole time that I was getting divorced comes out in that book, which is called Summer People. It's, you know, it's a sort of celebration of just falling in love and being really, really messy. <laughs> um, and particularly of touching, it's got a lot of physical touch in it, which is something I really missed um, being in a house with a man who I was splitting up with. Uh, so yeah, it comes out in, in really interesting ways. And then immediately after I wrote Summer People, I sat down and I wrote a book that I've been wanting to write for years, which is called Bad Men, which is about a female serial killer who only kills bad men. So it's, it. a, it's a feminist revenge thriller, which is going to come out next summer. And I wrote that, which again, is not, is not really emotional, but it is definitely like, it's a book of freedom. It's a book of getting out of shackles of patriarchy, you know? And, and so that was another side to myself that I really enjoyed getting in touch with after the divorce was over. I love this. I love that you said, I've written it down. In fact, <laughs> your stories know things before you do. Yeah. Uh, it's so true. And I think it's really interesting because if any people are listening who don't consider the, themselves as writers or don't write books, one of the things we talk a lot about on the podcast and people give advice is writing like a journal and getting your ideas down. And it's so interesting that you as a writer almost did the opposite with your book because you didn't put your feelings on paper. You just put other things on paper because your feelings were so in you. They were too big, too big to deal with on paper. I did keep a journal at the time as well, but it was mostly things that I couldn't say out loud. Um, things that I wanted to say, but I'm, I'm in a two bed terrace house um, during lockdown with a 15 year old, 14 year old boy um, whom I'm homeschooling and my ex who is a kind person. He is a nice person. He is a, you know, giving generous and, and he, he really tried very hard during this whole time, but you can't be fully yourself with someone who you're trying to separate yourself from. Um, I was sleeping on the sofa. Um, it was, it was pretty awful. <laughs> yeah. And so, I know, 
I know you said that you avoided your emotions Mm -hmm. in writing that book because you were suppressing them. But Mm -hmm. to me, when you explained it, I thought, well, maybe it was just a time in the day for you where you didn't have to feel emotions because when you're getting divorced, you feel all of the emotions all of the time. Mm -hmm. So maybe you just needed that break. Maybe, maybe that's a good way of thinking of it. Walking the dog was part of my break. I used to walk the dog and talk aloud a lot to the dog, um, all the things that I couldn't say in the house. And um, yeah, maybe writing those things down and trying to work out this really ridiculously complicated plot that was never going to work in the real life. <laughs> it's just something that I, I needed to do. Yeah, yeah, you had to have a plot break, just a break mm-hmm. of loads of plot. So when you are basically trapped, is that mm-hmm. a scary word to use? Trapped in a no, house was, yeah. with your ex. Yeah. Um, all you can do is go out and write the dog and then have a plot break by mm-hmm. writing your book. How else did you get through that time? The dog was great. That dog, I owe everything to that dog because when you need a hug, you can always hug the dog. Yeah. The dog will always give you love and and the dog let me go out and have exercise and just talk with strangers about the dog. I didn't have to talk about what was going on with me to the extent where a lot of people didn't actually know what was happening. Um so the dog got me through. My friends got me through. I had a lot of conversations with friends on the phone in car parks. That really helped. One of my friends did something incredibly generous for me, which was, I think it was in Cast Your Mind back to the spring summer of 2020 when we were all in the house. And I think in July 2020, hotels opened for the first time. And my friend who knew what I was going through booked me a weekend in a hotel about a mile and a half from my house. And I hadn't slept in a bed at that point since January. Wow. (laughs) Um, so I went to that hotel room and I wrote, but mostly I just watched TV and I drank tea and I slept as much as I could. And that was one of the kindest gifts that anybody has ever given me in my life. Um, just some space and time to be myself. That was wonderful. Yeah. A sleeping hot weekend holiday sounds wonderful. Yeah. At the best of times, let alone when you getting divorced and living with your ex. Yeah. So also, you know, you say you were living in the house with your teenager. Mm-hmm. How did you manage that? How did did you do the sit down, break it to them at the beginning? Did you keep it a secret for a while? Did you, how did you navigate co-parenting? So we had been in couples therapy since October 2019, um, we went to Relate and our therapist was fabulous. She was really wonderful. And she she tells me now that she knew as soon as we walked in that we were not going to last. Um, she, she knew. But she didn't let on to us at all. She let us explore all the different ways that we could try to stay together. And then when we came to her and said, no, I think we need to end it. She said, okay, I'm going, I've got a couple more sessions with you. I'm going to try to talk you through how to divorce well, um, because you have a child together and that's the most important thing. And it helped me so much to know that both my ex and I, our 100% focus was on the well-being of our son. That was all we cared about. Um, you know, the re- we are adults and we try to be kind to each other, but we're really trying to be kind to each other for the sake of our son, who who we love more than anything. And I trust him for that. You know, I really trust my ex to be a good dad. Um, so even though we decided to split up in January, I don't think we told our son until February. We wanted to talk about the options of what we were going to do um, and where my ex was going to live and where we were going to sell the house and uh, or was I going to keep it, which is what I ended up doing. Um, we we needed to have some time back and forth to actually have a plan in place before we spoke to our son because he's, you know, he was 14. He was old enough to understand what was going on. Um, and once we had a plan in place, um, we sat him down and he talked, we talked about it together. And I I actually, I don't think that he was horribly surprised 
Um, we were never the sort of couple who fought a lot, which maybe was one of our problems, but um, we didn't spend a lot of time together as a couple. Um, we had separate friends, separate, separate social lives. Um, the first 10, 15 years of our marriage, my ex was traveling a lot because he's a guitar tech for rock bands. So he was on tour. Um, so my son, our son has spent a lot of time with just one or the other one of us as his parents rather than both of his parents being together. So I think he's pretty used to that way of life. And he took it really well. Um, he did take it really well, especially when my uh, my ex said, oh, yeah, and we'll get you a, a PlayStation for my house. <laughs> 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 so he was excited about that. But um, he did take it well. But then, you know, it was weird for him because he didn't have the sort of very definite split that maybe a lot of other children have when their dad moves out or their mom moves out. He then, we said, we're going to stay together living in the same house until we until your dad finds a new place to live. But then the lockdowns happened, you know, like two, three weeks later. Actually, they both got COVID first and then the lockdowns happened. So we we're all, you know, together. And so it was a very, very slow and gradual breakup for my son, I think. Um, and I don't think he really understood what was going on until his dad moved out. But we involved him in every step of the process. So we showed him the flats that his dad was looking at, you know, and we talked to him about, you know, how close they were to his school and what his room was going to look like. And he was involved in every single part of that process as much as he wanted to be. And we we're very conscious not to talk each other down in front of him. Um, really keep that, you know, and we went on holiday as a family. We've still, we've gone on a couple holidays as a family together. Um, and, you know, we, we get together for Mother's Day and Father's Day and have, have dinner together and all the holidays we spend together as a family. So he still has family time, which is really, really important to both of us. What's it like going on family holidays then now you're divorced? Is it like, oh, who it? Who are you dating? Oh, uh, we're we're pretty cool about who the other one is dating. Um, he's met my girlfriend, and that was all fine. Um, I don't know that we'll go on very many family holidays in future, but in a transition period, and I I know that this is a transition period. Um, our son is sixteen; he'll be sixteen next month. You know, he's not going to be with us at home for very much longer. And I'm, I'll, I want to keep this for him as long as I can. But to be frank, it's not much of a holiday for me when we're on a family holiday. So I very much prefer to go on my own with him. And I took him to Paris in August, just the two of us. And it was fabulous. It was so much fun, just the two of us. Um, I was so much more relaxed. And, you know, when their parents are happy, I think kids are happy too. Yeah, definitely. 
Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can by buying merchandise from our website, www.thedivorcesocial.com. Ding dong. So you went through this whole kind of process in the house during lockdown. So when lockdown broke and you already had your decree absolute and it was time for your ex to move out, how did that feel? Did it feel sudden after it or did it feel like, thank God we're here? Thank God. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> I was so, I was so pleased. He, he moved out in stages as well because he couldn't find a place to buy right away or he was trying to buy a place and it fell through. And so he moved in with his friend in a shared house for a while because it was, well, I mean, I bought the house um, that we were living in and I told him, all right, once that house is mine and I sign the contract, I'm going to expect this will be my house. I'm going to take the bed back. <laughs> I, yeah. will, I will be, you know, I will be expecting you to move your things elsewhere. If you need to pay me rent, then good. But it, this is my house now um, and you don't live here. So, you know, maybe you should find somewhere else. So he did. Um, but because he was moving into a shared house, he couldn't move all his stuff out. And you can't see it because my I'm in my bedroom right now. My bedroom is a mess because I'm just unpacking. But I am. I like my space to be my space. I like it to be tidy. I like it to be filled with things that give me joy, especially when you're stuck in it, you know, for months and months. And I I, I wanted oh, I wanted my bedroom. So one of the first things I did when he left is I just got all new bed sheets. I just refreshed my entire bedroom. I redecorated everything. Um, and it just felt, oh, what an enormous relief that everything in this room now is mine. I love that. I got a new bed frame when I, because I, I stayed in the house and, and bought it off him and he moved out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got a new bed frame, like a bit more of a girly one as well. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. And I painted the kitchen pink and I had a lovely time. But I had, I did have a cup, a cupboard, like a big cupboard of my ex's stuff for months and months. And I didn't charge him rent on that, but I like that idea. Um, but for a long time, it's like, even though I couldn't see it because it was in a cupboard, I felt it. It's like, you know, they say when you've got money, it burns a hole in your pocket. This mm. cupboard was burning a hole in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, I need these things to go. I need this to be mine. Yeah. It's ridiculous how much things become symbolic of your entire relationship and your emotions. Um, he had a shed in the back garden and that was he, that was his man shed, his man cave. He would record music in there. He had lots of tools and things like that. And I, I, he said, when he left, he said, you can keep the shed, you can use it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm going to burn that fucker down. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't, um, I did not burn that fucker down. But what I did do is I put up an ad saying that anybody who wanted it could come and get it for free. And, um, three men turned up and they had to take it apart with a, with a, I don't know what, an angle grinder. I don't know. They had this huge piece of equipment because it was quite a sturdy shed and they had to take it. And then they loaded the shed into a flatbed truck and they took it away. And I had a patio put in where the shed used to be. And now it's full of flowers and it's got a little insect house and it's got, it's just my little calm space to sit. It's got bird feeders and it's just wonderful. And the shed, his ex shed is now a nail studio. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) I love that. Pulse recycling. Yeah. It's, it's had a journey. (laughs) Yeah. But that shed was a very big symbol and I was glad to see it go. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Those things that just get to you. Well, mm-hmm. I had, we'd bought two vintage rocking chairs, like Urkel rocking chairs um, to put in the conservatory. And we actually never sat on them. We sort of got them towards the end of our relationship. And then when we broke up, it was just like a symbol of like, being married and growing old together and that that mm. wasn't going to happen and and not that I wanted that to happen but it was like this weird symbol of well I need to get rid of that now because it's just there like your marriage is over um mm-hmm. and so it felt very I mean I sold them for the cheapest price I think the man who came to see them was like oh my god I'm getting such a bargain because <laughs> I was like take them just take them away in the van with you <laughs> um but it felt nice afterwards so um, 
also one thing you you mentioned that you're sleeping on the sofa but we sort of didn't touch on that so why do you think you got the sofa and he got the bed is it because it was your decision listeners i'm pausing (laughs) and thinking and choosing my words wisely partly Samantha, I think you're right. It was because it was my decision to split up. So I thought at least I could let him have the bed. That is probably at the base of it. But there were a lot of other things going on, which I'm not going to mention. But the the, the sofa, it was, it's a sofa bed. Um, the sofa bed is small um, and he was too long for it. So I fitted on it better. Um, and also... I'm the sort of person who would sleep on the sofa bed and then put it away afterwards uh, really neatly so that we could live as usual and, and he isn't. So um, <laughs> I like the it. practical concerns that came into the sofa sleeping. Yeah, because I wasn't going to put away the sofa bed after he slept in it, but I would gladly put away the sofa bed after I slept in it. So, um, so yeah, that was part of it. Um, there were a lot of other reasons, but I have to say... <laughs> I when I bought the house, I turned to see the sofa bed was a, a point of contention. And when I bought the house, I turned to the impartial arbiter of all things relationship, which is the Reddit Am I the Asshole forum. Great. So, so I wrote in to Reddit, Am I the Asshole? And said, you know, I have been, you know, we're split up. I've been sleeping on the sofa bed for eight months. Uh, now that I've bought the house, would I be the asshole if I made my ex sleep on the sofa? And the am I the asshole Reddit forum um, determined that no, I would not be the asshole. And as a matter of fact, I should have done it six months before. So I felt better about it. Isn't it awful that I had to turn to Reddit just to make myself feel better about making a completely rational and normal decision in my no, marriage? But this is an incredible resource for all divorced people now. Everyone's going to be like, oh my gosh, this is what I needed. I need the Am I an Asshole forum on Reddit. <laughs> well, it's a little bit of a risk because you are opening yourself up to mocking and abuse, you know, if, if especially if they decide that you are the asshole. But I was reasonably certain that I was right. Um, but I want an unbiased opinion that was not my mother or my yeah. best friend. And Reddit provided it. Thank you, Reddit. <laughs> any any other online resources that you found useful at the time? This is great. Top tips. No, I, uh, I went on some lesbian dating sites and I met some really nice people. Um, I wasn't able to date. Um, I was separated and divorced, but, you know, still living with, with my ex. Um, and uh, the lesbian dating apps let me meet some people who are, who are great just to talk to and flirt with and who became real supportive friends. Um, I realized that's not for everybody, but that helped me through quite a bit. So how long, I mean, you've brought up dating now. I love it. How long after you reclaimed the house, lockdown's over, he's moved out, till you started dating were you like oh my god finally I can date or did you still need a little bit of time I was dying to date I really wanted to date um I had been married for 20 years just under 20 years we got divorced we got divorced right after our 23rd anniversary um and I really 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 wanted to date and reclaim sort of myself as a desirable human being um, that was really important to me. I'm, you know, I'm in my fifties, uh, you know, married for 23 years. I'm a mom. I'm just like, I need to get out there and have some fucking sex, you know? So, um, I, yeah, I wanted to date right away, but it was complicated in that, um, he, even though he moved out, he was with a friend. Um, and so he couldn't have our son. So he couldn't have our son until he moved into his own place in, May. So that was, you know, a year and a half after we split up just about and a year, you know, after lockdown. So, I, you know, I was pretty well over it. By then. You know, It wasn't that I jumped into dating quickly. It was that I could not date until way after actually we split up. So, um, yeah, I, I, I dated around. I had a really good time, really good time. I met some amazing people and had a lot of fun. I had a lovely time dating. I think you said you didn't jump into dating. I jumped into sex 
mm-hmm. not necessarily dating. Yeah. And then I moved into dating afterwards. But yes. Yeah, I had... Because I think it seems like people go one of two ways. They're like, oh, my goodness, dating is the most scary thing ever. I can't do it. I'm just going to stay at home and spend some time on my own, which is perfectly fine. Or people like me are like, oh, my God, I can have sex with new people. Let's go. Um, And that is also totally fine. And that's what Mm -hmm. I did. So I think it is definitely a process. So it's exciting to hear that you had a nice time and you went straight out there. Did you have any worries or fears or were you just pure excitement? Let's do this. I did have worries and fears. I think I continued with therapy, which I think was a good decision because, and I continued with therapy with the same therapist I'd seen as a uh, relationship therapist. She had moved on to private practice. So I kept on seeing her. Oh, did you feel like you'd won her? Because I got to keep the therapist. I'd be like, oh yes. One to me. <laughs> Maybe there was a little bit of that, but he didn't want to continue therapy and I did. Yeah. So so um I, I kept on going to her. And um the reason why I wanted to keep on seeing her was because I didn't want to bring the issues that I had had in my marriage to any new relationship. And I was pretty sure that I didn't want a relationship. In fact, when I started seeing the woman that I'm seeing now. Um, I told her I didn't want a relationship and a year and a bit on, we're still together. So we are in a relationship. (laughs) I I lost that. I lost that fight. Um, I was, which I'm quite glad about, but I I did very consciously not want to take the patterns that I developed in a a 23 year marriage into any new relationship. I know that um, divorce, you know, a relationship failing happens because of both people, not just one. And I knew I'd played my part. And I had got into some very unhealthy habits, which I've spent the last year or two confronting and looking at and consciously changing um, and working to to get better at, which is one reason why my current relationship is so great is because we're both very committed to looking at those past relationship patterns and not repeating them with each other. It's it's so interesting, isn't it? Having your kind of first new relationship after your divorce, because I can totally relate to what you said about not bringing in your old stuff. And I'm in this, mm-hmm. you know, new relationship. It's been less than a year. But so there's so many times I find myself, it's not comparing, but I know the way my ex would have reacted to a certain thing. So I almost mm-hmm. expect my new partner to react in the same way. And when they don't, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, Oh, okay. Yes, this is different. Great, but yes, yeah. and because it's your because it's your shit and not your partner shit. Your new partner shit. I mean, my new partner is very surprised when I just turn to her and say, oh, "Hold on, I expected you to react completely differently to that." She's like, "What? Don't you know me?" I was like, it "Has nothing to do with you. It just like as you said, it's just me expecting." You train yourself in every relationship you're in. You you acclimatize you suppress parts of yourself and exaggerate other parts of yourself in order for the relationship, the thing that is the relationship to survive, um, which doesn't necessarily have anything to do with you as a person or the other person, you know? It's, it's, it's very funny because I remember thinking when I started this podcast, oh, you know, I'll never be in another relationship. But if I am, you know, in another relationship and in love and stuff, I will have completed this divorce journey and that'll be the end. And now here I am in another relationship and I'm like, oh God, it's only the beginning. Like there's still so much stuff that comes up that is left over and not all, you know, negative. It's not all bad stuff, but it's it's mm-hmm. just that learning to do a relationship in a different way. And I, I had a thing recently where, I wanted to post a photo on Instagram of me in a bra, um, but it wasn't like um, I wasn't posing for the bra. It was because I have a tattoo on my shoulder and a tattoo on my arm. And um, mm. I was in my bra changing my top and I thought, oh, this is a good opportunity to show off my tattoo and my bra. Not that there's anything wrong with posing in a bra, but just to explain the shot. And um, and I thought, oh, I want to post this. And I thought, oh, actually how's my partner going to feel about this? 
And maybe that was a leftover from a previous, you know, reactions. So I showed it to him and I said, I didn't ask his permission, but I said, I was going to post this on Instagram. What do you think? And he said, yeah, you look great. And I was like, oh, I thought you might not want me to post it because I'm in my bra. And he said, no, I'm not going to censor you. Like it was the most natural thing in the world. And it was like a huge revelation of the, and Mm -hmm. you know, not that I'm saying that my ex was like trying to censor me every two seconds, but they just had a different reaction. Um, And it felt like a really big kind of moment, not even in our relationship, but for me and my like learning of Mm -hmm. people are different. And relationships are different yeah. and they evolve. When my um, when I brought up divorce for the first time with my ex, he was very much against the idea. And I said, well, why? Why don't you want to get divorced? I mean, we are not happy together. We haven't been happy together. It's why would you rather stay together and not be happy than get divorced and, you know, start a new life? He's like, well, it's because we failed. It means we failed. And a lot of therapy for him. And a lot of the divorce process for both of us, I think, was coming to see that divorce isn't a failure. It is a process and it's something that you learn from. And it's taking the bits about the relationship that worked and the bits that you like about yourself and moving forward with them, but then leaving those other bits behind. And that's not failure. That's, that's you know, about how we grow and change as human beings. And what you said is just like that. It's It's not that... And you, you said that your ex n- wouldn't necessarily have censored you, but you would have felt that he was censoring you. So it's the part of you that you have to learn from that is the revelation there, not that he did this, but that you felt Yeah, this. that I'd feel uncomfortable about maybe posting that without running it by him first and then having this new <laughs> example of it. It's I feel like I'm learning new things about me all the time in a Mm -hmm. new relationship, which is very interesting because it's something I never thought, I thought, well, that would be the new marker for new life, a new relationship. Is there anything you feel that your current relationship is kind of teaching you or healing in you or, or bringing out, you know, old trauma or whatever it is in you? There are occasionally old traumas, um, but that is useful because I've learned that I don't have to put up with feeling awful. I can say how I'm feeling in the moment. And I think that is the most useful thing I've learned. And particularly about everything we were talking about, how you know I was trapped in this house. I couldn't say what I wanted to say. I couldn't access any of my emotions. I had to hold all of this back all the time. And that that was bad during those months of lockdown. But it was bad before that too. And I'm not blaming my ex. I'm saying that's how I reacted to things. I kept things back. I did not say what I felt. I did not explain myself. I dismissed my own emotions um, and and didn't listen to what my gut was telling me a lot of the time. And what I've learned, and one of the reasons that convinced me that I wanted to be in a relationship with the person I'm in a relationship with is that we can say those things out loud. And not just that we have permission to, it's actually one of our greatest strengths as a couple and as friends and as lovers is that we can actually say what we're afraid of and we can say what we're feeling in the moment without that being a problem or without the other person taking it as an attack or or having any fear of what that's going to do to us. And then we can start a conversation about those emotions from a a place of mutual respect and trust. And, you know, being in my fifties and finding that, you know, (laughs) it's the same sort of relationship I have with my best friends, you know, my best female friends, but to have that with a partner is really fabulous. Um, and that's one of the things I've really learned. And I remember actually, because, um, a very specific moment recently when I was just sitting with her and we weren't saying anything. And she said, what are you thinking about? And normally, you know, my response is, oh, nothing. Or, oh, I'm thinking about, you know, what to have for lunch or whatever. But instead I said what I was actually thinking about, which was something a little bit tricky. And we had a conversation about it. And 
it was the best feeling ever. You know, it was just, I just walked out of that room feeling, wow, I actually was vulnerable and was listened to. Um, and that's a really valuable lesson for me is to keep on being vulnerable and being listened to. Because if I just keep my feelings in, like I did for that whole year, you know, nothing good comes out of that. I can't produce, I can't be creative, um, and I can't have a fulfilling relationship with anybody. Definitely. And I think it's so, it, it's interesting hearing you talk because it, it makes me think about my new relationship as well. It makes me think, wow, I think getting divorced has made me a better partner and a better mm. person because I've had to deal with so much of my stuff that I don't think anything else would have necessarily driven me to deal with it. Um, and And just thinking back to that, you know, that person who was holding in all those feelings and um, was trapped in the house and, and going through all of that. If anyone's listening and they feel that they can relate to that, you know, maybe they're still having to live with their ex while they sort things out and while they separate. Is there any advice that you would give that person or just words of support or comfort? I have to say very, very clearly that my ex is and was not ever abusive because being trapped with an abusive person is completely different. I was with a person who, you know, I once loved, who I still care about, and it was the relationship that was failing. It wasn't it wasn't any sort of abuse or violence or or um, anything going on in that moment. So I have to make it really clear, you know, that my situation is quite different from other feeling other people, women, women particularly who might be feeling trapped. I think I don't know if I have any words of advice. Um, when I was talking to my friend Rowan, when I decided to get married, she to get divorced, sorry, <laughs> to get divorced. <laughs> I, I rang, even before I really talked with my ex about it, I rang my best friend Rowan and she said she has been divorced. And she said to me something that sounds really depressing, but helped me enormously. And she said, you're going to feel like shit for three years. And then after that, you're going to feel better. <laughs> and I'm like, three years? <laughs> but actually, she was right. So it's been two years for me, um, just over two years. And I started to feel better as soon as he moved out, to be honest. But um, knowing, just hearing those words, it's going to be three years and then you're going to feel better. Made me just feel that there was there was a time limit on this terrible way that I felt that it was totally normal that I felt this terrible, that I was allowed to feel this terrible um, because that was the necessary part of my process, my healing process, my grieving process was just to feel awful and it was okay. And that meant that I didn't have to turn to things to make me feel better. I didn't have to start drinking more. I didn't have to start partying. I didn't have to have random sex with strangers. I didn't have to do anything disruptive. I didn't have to have an argument with my ex. I didn't have to badmouth him in front of my child. I just had to put my eyes on the prize, you know? Three years down the line, I am going to be okay. And what could have been something that was really disheartening became like my mantra. It became so liberating for me. And in any case, it was less than three years for me before I started feeling a lot better. It was, it was, a year and a half probably that I really started feeling like myself and and could and and now I feel the best I've felt for a very long time. Uh, and so that's that's it. It it will take time. It will feel like shit. You have to feel like shit. It's part of the process and you just have to keep your eyes on what you want the best for you and your family and just keep your eyes on that and let everything else go and just move forward. That's it really. No, I love that. Um, yeah. Three years can sound pretty scary, but like you said, I think that time limit is so good because you're like, when will this end? Will I feel like this forever? I'm going to be alone forever and sad forever and crying on the floor in my kitchen. Yeah. So yeah. And I think when you feel that way, it's really, really tempting to reach for something that's going to make you feel better. You know, 
but that's, you just have to keep your eyes on that prize and, and just, you know, that's why I got, I think the reason why you contacted me to be on this podcast was because I got myself a bracelet that says inside, let that shit go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is really, again, three years in the future, you're going to be happy. Just let that shit go. Let it go. And that it really does help. But I need it on my wrist to remind me or else I will forget. And I'll start picking fights or getting angry or getting bitter or whatever. I love that. It's like the adult version of the song from Frozen, Let It Go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let that shit go. Um, thank you so much. Uh, it's been great to chat with you. And I'm very glad I saw you get that bracelet on social media and contacted you and then also saw you renovate your bathroom, which I actually liked. Um, so, you know, people should check that out on, on your Twitter because. The spotted <laughs> bathroom. Yeah. So here, here is a good, here is a good, um, representation of my relationship with my ex is that he loved that bathroom okay it is the worst listeners it is the worst bathroom ever it looks like a smurf murder scene it's just disgusting right but there and was a great I, mosaic shelf i love a mosaic it was a great mosaic shelf except the problem was that that shelf was uncleanable because it was made out of little shards of pottery that would cut you every time you tried to okay, dust sure. it so it was it was an evil shelf <laughs> And, uh, and and I'm glad it's gone. But my ex liked that bathroom. He really liked it. It was one of the reasons why he wanted to move into this house. He really enjoyed it. And so I lived with that bathroom for eight years. And only recently was I able to just gut the whole fucking thing. Oh, my God. I got rid of the whole thing. And now it is this really beautiful, lovely, calm space. But when I uh, posted before and after pictures on Facebook, my ex, bless his heart, uh, and I was saying that I was trying to choose colors to paint. My ex, bless his heart, said, I think you should choose blue dots all over it. Wow. It's like a, it's like a metaphorical getting them out of the house, <laughs> like just get rid of the bathroom. Yeah. Um, well, I thoroughly enjoyed your bathroom journey on social media. Um, and the new one does look nice, to be fair. It does look very nice. Um, where can people find you on social media if they want to find out more about you or follow your bathroom renovations? <laughs> My whole bathroom renovation is on Twitter where I am at Julie underscore Cohen. Um, I'm also on Mastodon these days. So it's at Julie Cohen at Mastodon app dot UK. Um, I am on Instagram as at Julie Cohen author. And my latest book, if anybody wants to read the book, my post-divorce book, which is about divorce and splitting up and having lots of really lovely sex with a really hot yes, please. woman, it's called Summer People. And it is out now in hardback and audio and ebook. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Samantha. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, But also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.